Um, hey, I want to give you a new standard. Uh, this is not the message, but just a different thought. Like, you know, how do you judge your day, whether you had a good day or a bad day? Or how do you judge your week? How, you know, that's the thought. Uh, I'm going to ask you, do you judge it based on what you get done that day? I mean, that's what a lot of people do because we need to get things done, right? I mean, there's stuff to do, you know. So that's a good thought, but there's a better thought, and this is the thought. What did God say to you that you heard? That's really what the Lord's been showing me um, about my life is, um, is when I connect with Him in a real way, that's a good day. Or that's a good week. And really thinking about the things that God really reveals to you. Because God's speaking to people right now. Here's the thing. A lot of people are not catching it. I'm just going to tell you that right now. God, a lot, God's talking a lot more than we realize. But a lot of people are really not catching it. It's just like shooting by you. We're looking for some kind of major uh, like download or some kind of shocking emotional experience. And a lot of times it's just little things that God is doing, that he's trying to, to get your attention. He's trying to tell you something. And so the more you respond to those little things, the more God's going to speak to you and the more clear it's going to be. And so I really want to encourage you that we're in a time where the Lord really is speaking to people. And I want to encourage you not to, to be, uh, and just so beautiful getting to pray this morning, uh, and, and, and the victory that I felt the Lord was releasing to the body of Christ is um, instead of the defeat that's in this world and the anxiety and the frustration that people have right now. I mean, this is really something I should probably not even have a conversation about, but it's really important when, when the secular media is talking about the woundedness and hurt in this country. Okay? It's really important that we pay attention to that because they're not right about many things. I'm just going to be honest with you. They're worthless, I think, the secular media. I don't even listen to half of what they had to say because there's so many lies sewn into what they've, into the truths that they do have. Just, you just can't trust it. But I do believe they're right on that one point. It's, we're wounded as a nation, okay? We're wounded because of the things that are going on in the politics in our country. And the worst thing you and I can do is let that get on us. Okay, and I'm just telling some of you, you have this desperation thing on you, you have this woundedness on you that's not really, you don't, it's not yours. It's not yours to carry, it's not yours. You hear what I'm telling you? Your job is to, to be an intercessor. That's what your job is. Your job is to pray, and there is a, such a thing as a happy intercessor. Somebody wrote a book called that, and I think maybe the intercessors need to get a hold of that. Who wants to go to a prayer meeting and everybody's moaning and groaning and crying and beat to death? I'm not interested in that. I'm just telling Becky, these prayer meetings, they better have some joy in them because the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, And every prayer that we have should come out of a heart of grace, not out of a heart, oh, we're just so desperate, and if, if the wrong person gets in, we're doomed. Hey, it doesn't matter who gets in at the end of the day. If God doesn't move, we're doomed, period. We need to, we need to move the Lord. We don't want the wrong person to get in. Don't get me wrong. And I really encourage you to go vote and vote you know, and really pray about it. But the only thing I tell you, if somebody believes in abortion and promotes abortion, I would never vote for that person. Because that's just hideousness. All right, are y'all good?
Yes, sir. Yeah. Hey, I want to read this to you. Uh, I do feel like the Lord has something for our church uh, for the days we live in. And this is not political on any level. This is, this is what I believe God's been speaking to me um, for a bit. Uh, actually, y'all remember I, uh, I did a few messes out of Mark 9. Mark, does anybody remember that? And remember how I told you I got all that? Anybody remember that? I got it out of a dream from a person who's in heaven. And uh, I was asking the Lord, okay, the, the one thing uh, that stuck out to me, in, in the, I think I did four messages on Mark chapter 9, and the one thing that really got a hold of my heart was the spirit of Elijah. That's the thing that when I read, when I was thinking about that, that stuck into me pretty deep. And I've spent, ever since then, I've just been kind of immersing myself in Elijah. And uh, because I feel like the, God wants to release the spirit of Elijah in a fresh way. The spirit of Elijah is the anointing of Elijah. That's what it is. It's the anointing that rested on Elijah. Uh, and so I wanted to read a little bit here and just tell you some things you know obviously I can't really talk too long this morning but I can tell you this and hopefully it will get you uh, to hear the heart of the Lord which I really believe this this is the heart of the Lord for for me anyway I'd like for a couple other people to get in on it with me Uh, I really think it's for our church but so I'm going to read verse King 17 verse 1 Uh, it says this uh, and this is where Elijah shows up in the Bible, the first place he shows up. And it says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. That's a heck of a day, right? This guy's talking to the king. We don't know anything about this guy. And suddenly he just shows, on the, shows up on the pages of the Bible. Elijah does. That's interesting, because most of the time in the scriptures, uh, it all it tells us is about where he's from. If you study where he's from, this is something beautiful about Elijah. Elijah was a country guy. Don't you love that? He came from the country, that place, uh, the, the Tishbite, that was a very rough, rugged, out-of-the-way place. And they didn't mention his mom and daddy like they do everybody else in the Bible that is significant and has impact on the nation of Israel or, na- or impact on the kingdom of God. Yet they decide to tell nothing about this person. I think, I think that's interesting. I think this is what that's telling us, is he was a nobody. He was not amongst the elite of Israel. He was not known as a prophet of Israel. He was not a person. He was an ordinary guy, an ordinary country guy, that suddenly God came on him one day and somehow, it doesn't even tell us, he was able to finagle his way into the palace and go directly to the king and speak to him and speak a pretty, pretty strong word to him. And then the next thing we know, if we read on, he's gone. God calls him to go somewhere else. And there's a whole other thing in that. But So it's, it's significant that, that I feel like God is really looking for ordinary people. Uh, James tells us this. He said, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Yet he prayed that it would not rain. And it did not rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again and it rained. 
And James was telling us, he's, he was just a regular guy. He has the same kind of hearts that we have, the same feelings that we have. Yet he, so I think that's really a key and, and should encourage the people of God that, that God is looking for just ordinary people. He's not looking for the highly gifted and anointed and, and people, prominent people. He's looking for ordinary men and women that he can put this spirit of Elijah on. That it can rest on them and they can begin to, to do some things. So, I think that's really important. Um, his name actually means, my God is Yahweh. That's what Elijah means. I think, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Elijah's time, if you might be interested. This is fascinating to me. Uh, the, the history, the period of time he lived in. Um, let me explain it like this. Israel, as a nation had basically three kings. They had Saul, they had David, and they had Solomon. Okay? And then Solomon had a son who took over the kingdom. His name was Rehoboam. I think this is in somewhere, uh, 1 Kings 12, I think, or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. But Rehoboam was not a very brilliant guy, unfortunately. Rehoboam was a young guy. And the people came to Rehoboam when he became king and said, Listen, your dad taxed us to death. We need a break. Give us a break. And he said, Well, let me, let me, give me three days, give me some time, and I'll get back to you. So he goes to the elders, and the elders said, Listen, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta stop this. You gotta stop this madness. The people are just wore out. You've overloaded the people. That's what the elders of Israel told him. And then he went to his friends, his young friends. And they said, no, no, no. Go tell them this. Go tell them my little finger uh, is going to be like my dad's thigh. That's My little finger is going to be as heavy as my, daddy, my daddy's thigh. Your thigh is the biggest part of your body. In other words, I'm going to, you think my dad was rough. I'm going to really tax you. I'm going to really put a load on you. And so what did the people do? The people rebelled. And there was a guy named Jeroboam. And he took ten of the tribes of Israel. Ten of them. And he le- they left. They left Israel and became another nation. And that nation became known as Samaria. That was what they called the northern. They was, at this point, there was two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was those ten tribes led by Jeroboam the southern king kingdom was was two basically two tribes a few levites and a few priests that really felt like they're supposed to hang around led by uh Rehoboam and so Israel became a split now this is important this applies Israel became a split nation it became two nations basically and one of them was called Samaria the other one was called Judah that's where you get the word Jew Jew, uh, Jew is a short form for the word Judah, if you didn't know it. Everybody's bad-mouthing Jews, and you're bad-mouthing praise, right? That's, that's where that came from. Um, I think this is pretty cool, or pretty terrible, really. But uh, the northern kingdom, they had uh, 18 kings. Every one of them were worthless. Every one of them. The southern king kingdom had, I think they had 16 kings. Uh, half, uh, I think nine of them were good. Nine were really good kings or good on some level, and seven of them were bad. So they had a little bit of a better chance. 
the northern kingdom was destroyed in like 786 B.C. by the Assyrians. And that's where the, you've heard of the term the ten lost tribes of Israel. That's where that came from. And you heard of the woman at the well, the Samaritan. She was a Samaritan. That's, that's who they were. They became, what they did is they became mixed in their worship. They adopted other gods and mixed their worship in with uh, the traditional Judaism. And it was all a mix. And that's why they were so hated by the Jews in the New Testament. You know, when the Jews would talk about Samaritans, they'd call them demons because they had this mixed saying and they had broken the kingdom apart. And it was just a, you know, divisive thing. And, of course, Jesus reached out to them because he, he loved them. And, uh, and the, uh, so they were, they were destroyed in 786. And then Judah, they were, they were destroyed in like 500-something B.C., 720 for northern kingdom and 586. So, see, neither one of those, Israel as a real nation, didn't last long. They didn't live long. They didn't last as a nation very long. It was a short-lived. And then they became a nation again in 1948. Yeah, it's a miracle if you think about it. It really is. So they become a nation again, but their history goes way back, and they haven't really been a nation a long time, yet God didn't didn't forget them by him. So Elijah ministered in the northern kingdom. That's where he was ministering at. He, that, he wasn't ministering down in Jerusalem. He was ministering up there in those other ten tribes. That's where God called him to be. That's where God raised him up. And so that was, you know, the kind of where he was dealing with. Uh, now this guy Ahab, he's an interesting character. Let me read uh, about Ahab in 1 Kings 16. He was like the worst of the worst kings ever. Listen to this. It says, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. So there's a king in Judah named Asa. And then up there in uh, the Samaria, the ten tribe, the northern tribes, Ahab was a prophet. Ahab, the son of Amri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Amri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. He was the king for 22. And so we complain when we have a, a leader of our nation for four or eight years that are killing us. These guys had this, this the terrible guy for 22 years. It was awful. And it says, uh, Now Ahab, the son of Amra, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. He was the most evil king that, that they ever had. And it came to pass as, uh, as though he was, had been a trivial, th- trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That sounds like pretty bad, doesn't it? That he took, actually, Jeroboam started out as a good guy. If you go back and study him, he, he, he got bad, but he started out good because nobody would embrace him. The church wouldn't embrace him as, as a young man. He had a call on his life, and they didn't embrace him, the church, the kingdom didn't, the kingdom of Israel. And they pushed him away, and he got rebellious and, and got off. Uh, but anyways, he took a, Ahab took the wife of Jezebel. So Ahab's wife was Jezebel. You know, Jezebel's the worst person ever in the Bible, you know. You know, she actually shows up again in Revelations. Uh, you know, she was the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. That's talking about Ahab. And he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. Ethbel means, her, you know, his father-in-law means with Baal. That's what it means, with Baal. And Baal means Lord, Master, or Owner. Okay, so you can see this whole situation going down the tubes really fast. Is this interesting to you? 
It's really interesting to me. And so the worship of Baal became the main worship in northern Israel. No longer was God the one who was worshipped. Baal was worshipped. Now, in the, that land, there were about 70 different demonic gods. There's about, there were about 70 ones in the land of Canaan that were worshipped. And Baal was the most popular one. He was the, like, the, the greatest god. And here's the reason why. I, I'll read this to you. Baal was the most popular god because he was considered the god of fertility in all aspects of life. Get this. Human, animal, and vegetable. Human, he was the god of fertility, all aspects of life. Uh, production and prosperity were dependent on Baal. Production and prosperity were dependent on Baal. In other words, the economy was dependent on Baal. Is, any, is the Lord speaking to anybody this morning? The economy, everything rested on Baal. So Baal had to be worshipped. He had to be appeased because the whole economy of the nation was dependent on this guy named Baal or this God named Baal. And so he was a big guy. The Rosh Shamra text, which I don't really know much about it, it's an important archaeological find, praises Baal as the God who has powerlessness over rain, wind, clouds, and therefore over fertility. Baal was worshipped as the weather god, the god of storm, the god of rain, and the god of good crops. The worship of Baal, listen this, it involves sexual perversions between people of the same sex. That was a big deal in the worship of Baal. It often involved the sacrifice of children. Often involved the sacrifice of children. It was driven by greed and a lust for riches. It is incredible. Now think about it. If there's not a parallel there to what's not only going on in, in the United States of America, but I'm talking about in the world, think about it. Listen, I'm going to tell you this. That spirit that operated on Baal did not die the day Elijah beat those priests that day. That spirit is still here. And if, you, or if we're sitting here thinking, not getting this, let me make it clear. We are very influenced in this nation and other nations by that same spirit of Baal. It's just manifests in different forms. We're not going to a temple, you know, and, and doing things, but we're, do, think about what all goes on in this country. It's like I said, you know, we're sacrificing children for somebody's, you know, it's, it's, about, it's about greed. It's about, it's, it's about our comfort. It's about, you know, it's about the same thing it was for them. We've got to make this thing happy so we'll be blessed and we'll be prospered. And so, and I'm, let me make something real clear to you. I'm not, compare, I'm not saying the United States is modern day Israel. I don't even believe that. I don't know who came up with that theology, but I think that's about dumb. You know, we're not. We're the United States of America. Israel's Israel. You know, we're another place. We're living a different place. Yeah, amen. Thank you. That's right. So here's the thing. When Elijah came up there and said, think about what he said. It's not raining until I say so. It was a direct challenge to Baal. He was basically saying to them, listen, I'm, I'm going to keep it from raining, and there's nothing Ahab, you, or there's nothing Baal, or anybody else can do about it. None of you. I'm going to show you that God's bigger than Baal. 
and that God will beat this thing. That's, that was his challenge. Now, you know, nowhere, I think it's funny interesting that James said, put that scripture of James up there, uh, Oliver, up here. It's a man like nature with ours, and he prayed earnestly. It's interesting that in the, account, the historical account here, it doesn't tell us he prayed. It just tells us he goes and says it's not raining. But you know what that tells me? Even though he had this boldness and this power on him, behind the scene was a man that like, Lord, you know what? If you're really telling me to go say this, it better not rain. <laughs> Come on, ordinary man. How many people in this room struggle when, when you feel like you've got something from God, but you're quaking in your, in your shoes because you're saying, if God doesn't do this... That's the kind of guy Elijah was, behind the scenes. In front of everybody, he was bold as a lion. He was challenging. But behind the scenes, he was just like us. Like, are you sure this is the Lord? Did I really hear the Lord? Is all this just a dream that I heard? You know, are you hearing what I'm saying to you? And I really want us to, to really, really get that about Elijah. Yeah. So, you know, then the next verse, the Lord takes Elijah to another place, which is... Every place, it's interesting, when you study his life, every place he goes has significance, not just what happened historically, it speaks of something spiritual. It speaks of a journey that pe- people like you and I would walk through in our, in our walk with God and what God does, you know, but we can't talk about that this morning. But we can later because I think it's really important. Because when I begin to study that and I realize some of the confusion in my life, that I had about my calling, about how God spoke to me, and things, that, and then how things would happen to me, I realized there's an explanation in the life of Elijah. That there was, there was purpose, there's reason that God's working and doing some of the things that just seem absolutely counter to, you know, what's really happening. Amen? So how does this apply to our... This is what I wanted to say. I want to read this, Luke one seventeen. This is talking about... John the Baptist, I'm, I'm just trying to pull this together just for a little bit, okay? I'm cutting all this really short. He will, just talking about John the Baptist, he will also go before him, speaking of Christ, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Everybody say spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of justice and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so I believe that's what the spirit of Elijah the anointing of Elijah, those three things, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, to make ready for people prepared for the Lord, and to turn the wicked to the wisdom of the just. See, that's what his, that's his, the job assignment of Elijah. That's what that spirit does when it gets released in the earth. And I believe it, that's, the spirit of Elijah has been released into the earth. I believe we've experienced some of the spirit of Elijah working when we talk about the revelation of the Father's heart and those kinds of things. That's the spirit of Elijah See, God's already at work in you know, releasing this thing, and He wants to release it more, and He's looking for people who are willing to accept the mantle, the anointing that rested on Elijah so they can begin to function in all three of these things. That was His job description. If you'll remember, um, I wanted to read this one other thing in Matthew 17. Woo-hoo, Lord, have mercy. Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, because they were asking about Elijah coming down from the mountain of transfiguration because he was there. They were confused. If you remember, I told you about how Elijah, you know, all the Jews believed Elijah was going to come back right before the Messiah. Right? 
And then, you know, the Messiah would come and everything would be cool. And so Elijah shows up and here's these three Jewish guys, Peter, James, and John, saying, what the heck? You know, he was, the Messiah's already here. He's come after you. I mean, it was confusing what they were taught. And Jesus answered and said to them, indeed, Elijah, listen, is coming. In other words, he was talking about the future release of Elijah into the earth. Not right then. He said he is coming. Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. See, that's an anointing for restoration. That's what Jesus is saying. There's this restoration of people's hearts towards the Father, God the Father, and people's hearts towards their natural families even, their natural fathers, and God breaking things down, and God restoring people's lives and healing people's lives. That's what the spirit of Elijah does. He restores all things. But I say to you, Elijah has already come. has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist, who, who had come in the spirit of the power of Elijah. So here's Jesus saying, Elijah is going to come. He's coming. The spirit of Elijah. He wasn't talking about just Elijah that showed up on the mountain. He's talking about the spirit of Elijah coming in the earth. The anointing that rested on the Old Testament Elijah is coming. Just like the anointing that rested on John the Baptist, it was the anointing of of Elijah in the Old Testament. Are y'all following that? And this already happened, Jesus said, but there's another coming. There's another release. And that's the thing that I want to see that God, you know, that's what Jesus has declared And we're starting to see that. We've been seeing it for a few years. We've been seeing this anointing coming. Particularly the anointing about the Father's saying. That's really part of the work of the Spirit of Elijah. And it's something that God has been working in the church. But there's a lot more that God wants to do. Are y'all good? So, here's some... I'm going to do this. Okay? Really fast. So, here's what this means. Uh... Let me say this is John 1, through 23. They were asking him, these Pharisees, these people were asking him, Who are you? They are talking about John the Baptist. Who the heck are you, man, that we may begin, give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, listen, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. So that's a revelation right there for people. God wants to raise up voices. God wants to raise up voices. That's what the spirit of Elijah said. It's going to give. What did uh, the, the original Elijah do? He had a voice. When he spoke, things happened. When he prayed, it didn't rain. That's a voice. I, I, here's what I think. Y'all know what I think about this voice stuff? Here's what I believe is going to happen. We're going to see people who have a voice now lose their voice. And here's why they're going to lose it. Because they're compromising the truth. There's, pe- there's Christians out there that are compromising the truth. And, and they're going to lose their voice. I'm talking about people who have a public platform of some sort. And there's, I've even read about one, this lady, this one woman who's very popular in uh, social media world, you know, blogs, I mean real popular. Who's, uh, her last name's Hatmaker. Jen Hatmaker is her name. She has come out and said this. I'm not putting her down. She can believe whatever she wants to believe. I don't judge her for it. But here's the truth is she's come out and says, yes, it's okay. Same-sex marriage is okay. 
That's what she said. Now, see, there's a lot of that that's going on. These people who have this, and she has a lot of influence because she has a lot of followers. And so I'm going to tell you this, people who, you can't compromise the truth, you know. The truth's the truth, you know. And, and so I believe we're going to see people who have a voice lose their voice. And then there's going to be people who have no voice suddenly because they've not compromised the spirit of truth. You know, that was the last thing Bob Jones told me before he died a couple years ago. Actually, almost three years ago now. He said, the last words out of his mouth to me, he looked at me and he says, what the church needs right now is the spirit of truth. What the church needs right now is the spirit of truth. That's why we need to vote for truth. Somebody said they were voting for love. I thought, you're voting for love? Really? How can murdering babies be love? You know, that ain't love. That's despicableness. Anyways, I'm just saying that, you know. <laughs> That's really important, the voice thing. Anybody would like to have a voice? Here's a good way to reconnect with the Lord. Be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful for the United States. Let me warn you. A lot of what I, we, I hear people say and pray is not helping. It's creating more static. Because you're saying a lot of bad stuff. Everybody knows it's bad. We don't need to be keep repeating that. We need to start saying things like, Lord, have mercy on us and start speaking life over this country. That's, that's what the people of God have got to start doing. You know, we've got to start using this authority that God's given us, not to tear things down, but to build things up. If God wants to tear down something, He can do it. That's His job. Our job is to build up. Our job is to restore. Right? Are you okay? I'm going to be done here in a minute. I promise you this because they said I was going to be done. Somebody said that. Number two, this is the second thing. I, this is really vital right now. John three twenty nine. Listen, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. The bride's the body of Christ. The bridegroom's Jesus, right? So we've got to eliminate all the, anything else. But, listen, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and what? Here's him. Rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Bridegroom's voice. Here's the voice. That's how you become a voice. You hear, you hear his voice. That's how you become a voice. You're starting to hear the voice of the bridegroom. I'm telling you, God's speaking to people right now. God's talking right now. God's got things to say. Here's what you need to do. You need to take... Well, I'm just telling you what I think you need to do. You don't have to do it, obviously. It's just my opinion, but it works for me. Being still before the Lord every day, taking time just to be still, and not praying and not rattling your brain with stuff, but letting God say what He wants to say to you. And I know some days it's hard to, to calm your mind. It is me. i got a real crazy mind. I read yesterday somewhere they, they said that people who daydream are really very smart people. I thought, I'm, I should be the smartest person in the world because I live in a daydream. I daydream all the time. Everywhere I'm going, I'm daydreaming about something. I had to just stop and stop. It's like a, a movie going on inside of my mind all the time. So I had to shut it down. You know, like, okay, I'm going to be still, Lord. And I start thinking about what God might say to me. And then I build this world around it. I'm sure nobody else does that. <laughs> Anyways, being still before the Lord and being thankful are really important. 
I think we're in a time where, listen, where God wants to show us His face. Okay? He wants to reveal Himself to us. And that's how we know ourselves. Okay? When we begin to see the Lord, we don't not only begin to know the Lord, we begin to know ourselves, who we are. And the things about ourselves that you may not be 100% comfortable with right now, you know what I'm talking about? There's things about all of us we're not 100. We're not like, well, that don't measure. That's not good enough. Or, you know, gosh, that's not the, that's not the latest trend. You know, I'm not trending now very good with the popular crowd. But then all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute. This is who God created me to be. And when you begin to see Him, you begin to see yourself. And you begin to rejoice in who you are because God made you that. And I really do think there's something powerful in worship of being satisfied in who you are and settling in your heart see I got really happy when I read Elijah was from the country like dude hey I'm not always disqualified I might be disqualified with certain people but I ain't disqualified with the likes of Elijah you know what I'm saying and so and it's because God helped me to see I created you this way. You were born in the family I, I wanted you to be born in. You were raised in that setting I wanted you to be born in. I, I want you to see that. I want you to embrace that. I want you to love that because I love that. And when you love that, then you can become a better version of yourself. You can grow in who I really called you to be and you can get rid of all that bad stuff that's hanging off in you. Are y'all following that? Y'all just looking. But I'm telling you what I just told you is important. If you can get that, if you can get that not here, but here, it will do something for you. It it can liberate you. It can give you a boldness you've never had in your entire life. It can help you hear God on a different level than you've heard Him. It can help you know God in a different way. The way you know God colors everything in your life, especially yourself. So if you're not seeing God right, you're not going to see yourself right. Nor will you see anyone else right. Nor will you see what's going on in the world right. It's impossible. Everything starts with our perspective and view of God. And that's why I'm saying God wants to reveal Himself to us and show us Himself. So we, first of all, can get to know ourselves better. We're not just going to get to know Him better. The more we know Him, the more we'll know us. Do y'all get that? You should be asking the Lord about that a lot because that is not a, a one-time event. That is an ongoing thing. That's what the transformation of your life looks like. Is we're knowing God more and more and deeper and deeper and we're knowing ourselves and we're looking at other people and seeing the Lord towards them. Suddenly you're going to tap into the compassion of God for people instead of being down on them. And you're going to have compassion towards people, which is unusual in the earth, I'll tell you that. Real compassion is very unusual. Okay. Right, well, I got one more thing. No, I don't. Yes, I do. Let's just do this. Are y'all all right? It says, I wanted to go back to that James thing. I wanted to tell you the one beautiful scripture. It says, Elijah was a man with nature like ours. We're, we're buying into that. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on land for three years and six months. That's a long time to go without rain, buddy. 
Uh, we were up in China on somewhere. It, how, many, how long had it been since it rained? It was like everything was dust. It was the driest. I mean, the air was like dust. It was just, it was ridiculous. It was pitiful, really. And these were, this was a farming area. Um, we prayed, though. You know, we went up there, and Lord released the heavens, opened the heavens. We were left, and it rained up there. I'm telling you, dear. We were, we were trying out some of this Elijah stuff. <laughs> he prayed again, and, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And that was cool, wasn't it, that he did that instead of us not praying. Because here's what another thing that Bob Jones used to tell me all the time. You go in and whine and complain to him, he'd look at you and let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In other words, he kept saying, what you say is going to affect things. That's Psalm 107 verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So every time I catch myself being bad in my mouth and my talk, I remember that. Like, ooh, I don't want this. No, Lord, I'm sorry. And I take it back if you can. I think you can. I think that's called mercy, right? I'm writing mercy over all those bad words. <laughs> okay, so I, think, so I think the Lord really wants to call people into friendship right now. I think last week, you know, we had this little theme in here about God was just saying, you know, come near to me. Come near to me. Because people have wandered from the Lord. People in this room, that's why God was saying that. There was people here that had one. And I'm not talking about you fell away from the Lord and went and lived a life of sin. No, but you weren't close to the Lord no more. Your relationship with the Lord wasn't what it once was. And the Lord was saying, come near to me. Let's have this relationship. Let's have a friendship. John 15, 15. God wants to show. He, he doesn't tell certain. Remember I said that to you. Servants, servant, being a servant is our assignment. On this earth. That's our assignment. That's not our identity. Being sons and daughters, being friends is our identity. In, in relationship to God, it's being friends, it's being sons and daughters, it's being kings and priests, many of those, many of those things that the scripture. But in relationship to this world, relationship to each other, we're servants. We serve. See, there's none of this like, well, we, we're not both. We're, we don't, yeah, we're not both. We're, we are who we are. But we have an assignment, and that assignment is to be to serve. That's because Jesus was the servant of all. Okay, so we don't draw close to God by serving. We don't hear God by serving. That's not going to work for you. It won't work long. It might work for a day or two or three, but it'll quit working sooner or later. If your life is based on what you're doing to help to help whatever. It's just not going to work. But if, you're, if you begin to say to the Lord, I want to cultivate a relationship with you. I want a friendship with you. Because you, you have declared you're not a servant. That's not who you are. You're a son. You're a daughter. That's who you are. I want you to know me like that. I want you to relate to me like that. You're the bride of Christ. Relate to me like that. And then he'll talk to you. And yeah, and by the way, go wash that guy's feet. Go give that guy a word. Go do this. Go, you know, clean up or whatever, you know, you can do. Y'all good? Yeah. All right, so that's what I think the spirit of Elijah does for you and I. Now, I did want to say one more thing is if you go back to the birth of, of John the Baptist, uh, you know, an uh, angel showed up at John the Baptist's dad's when he was doing his ministry one day 
and told him, like, your prayers are answered. Okay? And, and, and I just always imagined, like, he was saying, what prayers? Because it says he was an old man. You know, old men, soon, sooner or later, they'll quit praying for a baby. Right? If you're an old man, you're thinking, I don't want no more baby. I don't want, if you didn't have any, like, well, I don't want any. It's too late. You know, because babies are work, man. They wear you out. When you get to be a grandparent, you're glad. You love seeing your grandkids, but you're like, uh, y'all need to go home now because we're tired. <laughs> I don't know. You just don't have the energy like you had when they were living with you. You know, of course, then you could make them do stuff. Now you can't get the kids to do anything because their parents don't discipline them. So <laughs> that's just my thought. So, you know. Anyways, what I'm saying is, is I think a lot of people have prayers that you've kind of given up on. That's what I think. Maybe some prayers that you forgot. And I just feel like the Lord is saying, I haven't forgot them. And I feel like this whole thing about the spirit of Elijah is part of it, is an answer to old prayers that you prayed from the bottom of your heart that God wants to release to people. I really believe that with all my heart because I, I believe it biblically and, and I believe it and I'm having experience in my life of things. So I just wanted to just pray that over you this morning. How many people really, tell the truth now, don't lie, don't raise your hand. How many people would really love for God to anoint you with the spirit of Elijah? Raise your hand. Just hold, keep your hand up. Lord, you see these hands. I, I just pray you do it, Lord. I raise my hand to you, Lord. Father, just release the spirit of Elijah to us. Lord, anoint us with that. Bring us into that place, Lord. Lord, bring us into that place of friendship. Lord, bring us into that place of hearing you. Bring us into that place of, of connecting with your voice and becoming a voice of God in this earth. Lord, bring us into that place of answered prayer. Lord, bring us into that place when we begin to speak to situations. They can shift and change. We would speak your word over things. Lord, we'd speak your voice over our environment, around our homes and our neighborhoods, with our children, Lord, and about our e- economy, our economy, Lord. Lord, I pray you give us that voice like Jesus had, that he could speak to things. One of the things I saw this morning when we were worshiping, I saw manna from heaven. You know what manna is? Jesus is manna. He said, I'm the bread of life. I feel like God was releasing the bread of life in this room this morning. I was looked up and was hoping we were doing communion, but we weren't. But the bread of life, the real bread of life, not the ritual of the bread of life, the real bread of life was here for us. Lord, we want the bread of life. You said he will eat your flesh and drink your blood, Lord, that we are one with you. We partake of you right now. Just, just let's have a spiritual communion right now. Let's just have a spiritual communion. Let's drink the blood of Jesus. Let's let it become in a fresh way, in a renewed way in our hearts that we're connecting with the real bread from heaven. Mm, we just do that, Lord. We eat you. We drink you. Mm, thank you, Lord. Lord, release that spirit of Elijah here. Release that spirit of Elijah here, Lord. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord.